The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode. And before we start this episode, I want to encourage all our listeners to please subscribe and rate our channel. We definitely appreciate that. Also, feel free to give us feedback. Like I said, all three of those things, we definitely appreciate it. I just want to start the show off and let you guys know. And um, here's another episode. I hope you all enjoy it. On the way to the top floor. I ain't selling out though, but I'm on the way. Got a lot of real, must motivate. Hold all the moves, I'm a plenty play. On the way. On the way, on the way to the big check. You ain't know I'm up next, but I'm on the way. You ain't take risks, cause you too afraid. I'ma just eat till I'm overweight. On the way, on the way. What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Melton, and my co-host, Deanna Kent. What's up, everybody? And today we have a, uh, a this is going to be another another super dope episode. We have another super, super special guest, and her name is Amy. She's from Denver. She's a real estate investor, real estate consultant, and she's the owner of Silver Springs Real Estate Consultant. And uh, she pretty much has experience in strategies, including like 1031 exchanges, purchasing at auctions, uh uh, buying and selling, wholesaling, tax liens, opportunity zones, and so much more. So I know she got a whole lot of valuable game and gems that she could uh, drop on us today for even even for the listeners that you guys could take and apply to your life. So welcome to the show, Amy. We so happy that you're here. Thank you. I'm very excited <laughs> to be here. I'm a big fan of the show. Thank oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> Definitely thank for you. any new, you know, listeners, go back and listen to all the episodes. They have lots of great guests. Thank you, thank appreciate you, thank you. We appreciate that. We appreciate that. And like, uh, we usually, like I always say, we usually like to ask our guests the first. The first question we like asking is, so what was the start? How did you get started on this journey into where you are now? So I'm one of those stories where my father was sort of in the industry, and I kind of grew up you know, a little bit forced into it. He um, kind of did a combination of investing, but he was also like a property manager as his like day job. So he would manage his own properties and also lots of other people's properties. Um, And so as a kid, that led to a lot of like having to respond to weird emergencies. (laughs) (laughs) Like drop everything and go with him on stuff and maybe having to deal with like random evictions and cleaning out units and like whatever all that kind of fun stuff as a kid um which was great just because it gave me it it made it very normal you know very like it normalized it and made it seem like you know something anybody could do which 
I still to this day very much agree. It is something that anybody could do. Um, you know, people have lots of property management horror stories, um, but <laughs> mm-hmm. don't let that you know deter you. It's truly one of like the easiest jobs I've mm. ever come across, and I personally really like to find you know easy work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, back to my roots in it. So that's kind of you know I grew up in it, um, and then when I you know was going into college. Uh, you know, I lived in the dorms and then I ended up like transferring schools and lived in the dorms again because of that. But then when it came time to really like think about renting a place, my dad was like, I'm not about to like have you wasting all this money on rent. I'm not about to pay your rent either, (laughs) but (laughs) maybe we can, you know, find a condo or whatever, um, that we can buy together and then, you know, kind of do house hacking, um, and have, you know, some roommates live there to help cover all the bills and everything. And so, you know, obviously I was like all about that. That was great. Um, and that ended up working out. Um, he made me, you know, split the down payment with him, which I had, I was the type, I started working as soon as I was like 14. Like I always worked a lot through high school, had summer jobs, but even like after school jobs and stuff. And that was all just like random stuff, nothing, you know, real estate related. Um, but I had a little bit of money saved up luckily. So we were able to, do that um but a weird thing happened where since i was like brand new to an adult i didn't have established credit yet so it was kind of like a funky situation where they wouldn't approve to have me like on the mortgage with him Mm. so it was just like on the deed and not on the mortgage and it was like you know we had to get a little bit creative to make it work Um, but luckily you know he was willing to and i was able to make it happen so I lived there um, for a few years, and obviously, you know, you can always get better loans if you're going to be living in it. Mm-hmm. So that was like key to making that all work. Um, and you know, just had roommates, and my dad did make me pay rent, but it was way less, you know, than it would have been otherwise. So it was still like a good, you know, situation. Um, and then, you know, that would have, you know, if that was like the end of the story, that would have been like such a great start. Uh, real estate because I was only about 20 at the time Mm. but unfortunately my dad um passed away kind of you know young and unexpectedly at that time when I was living in that condo and he had a wife who is you know not my mother and she uh decided she didn't want to let me keep that place and I tried to like fight her I got a lawyer and all this stuff but like when push came to shove it ended up going into foreclosure Mm. which was super devastating for me. I was still paying the rent and I still had my roommates paying the rent. So it's not like she didn't have the money to pay the mortgage. She just chose to stop paying it. (laughs) It was that type of like just a personal vendetta, Mm. Um, you know, sad though. So I, you know, I ended up having to move out. We lost the place, but the good news is I wasn't on the mortgage. So that did not hurt my credit, which was just a really yeah, lucky. It like worked out. <laughs> yeah, having a foreclosure at twenty would have been like oh, hard yeah. to get by. But I got lucky on that. It did not mess up my credit at all. So you know, it was bad, but it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot better. Whatever, though. You know, that was a long time ago. Luckily, I've you know, been able to bounce back. Um, so. After that, I was, you know, kind of back at square one. I I was definitely, like, interested in doing more investing, but I really didn't 
know what to do at that point. And, you know, I had just lost my dad and I was kind of just dealing with a lot of personal stuff. So I was just kind of, you know, working a normal job for a while, just renting, you know, all of that normal stuff that we do in our 20s. And, um, you know, I should say that I was like doing all kinds of research all the time and going to events, but I wasn't. I really wasn't. I was more focused on just, you know, my personal stuff that I was dealing with. And, you know, that's people should understand, like, it's okay if you're, you know, if your journey isn't just a straight line, like, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to focus on other things, and you'll come, you know, you'll come back to it at the right time, um, so, luckily, um, I did end up getting, like, a small check from that foreclosure, like, they have to send you, like, the profits or whatever, it was barely anything, but it was a little money that I could start saving with, and then I just started, you know, trying to be disciplined about saving on top of that. Um, and then what really was like the kick in the pants to get back into investing was I got pregnant with my first daughter. I'm sure plenty of other people can, you know, <laughs> you when you when you finally have kids on your radar, it's like, oh, shit, I really got to get my life together and take mm. this more seriously. So I kind of did a similar thing. Um, I was able to just get a, you know, a normal conventional loan um, for a place, a little townhouse that I was going to move into myself. And that all went, you know, relatively smoothly. Um, You know, the market in Colorado is like incredibly high. So we were talking, I think that one cost about 140 grand, um, which, you know, for kind of a first investment is pretty high. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just sort of, I didn't know better or whatever. I didn't really like see any other options and it worked out. I was able to get the loan, the down payment, all the stuff in place. Um, And I lived there for a while. Um, And then, but I kind of bought it with knowing in the back of my mind, it would be a great rental because it was kind of like a perfect little, just like two bed, two bath, like, it would definitely be like an easy rental in the future. So I kind of, you know, was hoping that would be like the longer term plan. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like where I got started from then. I mean, I can kind of keep going, but we can also like pause. Um, (laughs) Like like my first two investments, sort of almost I had two firsts, if you know what I mean. Um, And then I sort of, you know, took that uh, second townhouse that I was living in and was able to like, uh, restructure the loan and get some cash out to like further like invest from there and so yeah that's kind of like the wow. general beginning of my my <laughs> investment here. wow yeah you have a very interesting start in the story alone yeah. that's, that's very interesting so so like uh that was that first deal was was that the most complicated deal that you have had um it probably was but it didn't feel so super complicated since my dad was like kind of taking on it um so there's been other stuff that maybe felt more complicated because I had to do it all on my own um Mm. but I've gotten pretty lucky in that I've found good people to work with um all the properties that I've bought in the Denver area I have bought you know retail with a realtor through the MLS Mm -hmm. um but I just kind of got lucky, like, timing-wise, that the market has, like, really, like, it boomed since then, um, that, you know, it, it, it all has gone really smoothly for me, and I just have found good realtors, good lenders that have sort of, like, helped me yep. 
make it all fairly, you know, fairly easily. Of course, you know, nothing's super easy, but <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I really like how you mentioned that your dad kind of planted the seed for you to go off onto this journey. So you mentioned you have children. Are you kind of doing the same thing with them, or are you just gonna let them, you know, see how it goes? Is, are you gonna keep like a family yeah. business type? That is a very good question. I mean, of course, I would like them to, you know, at least like be open to this, you know, opportunity that I am going to like, you know, have to give them. Um, my youngest is only two. So, I mean, I'm still in like, <laughs> yeah. um, but my oldest is seven and she, you know, I mean, it's not like we talk about it super specifically, but she has said little things here and there of like, I would like to do what my mom does like when mm -hmm. I grow up and like, she kind of thinks it's fun to go look at properties and things like that. So I think, you know, the bug is definitely mm -hmm. there for her. And I want to, you know, let her sort of take it as far as she wants right now, obviously, because she's really young still. But, like, I think as, as she gets to be more, like, you know, closer to teenage years, I might sort of push her into working for me mm -hmm. because... I'm going to need the help anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's tax write-offs for, for hiring your kids just... Keep that in mind. Keep that in Definitely. mind for the people. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, dope because a lot of the people we have on who have like a bunch of um, rental properties or investing in real estate, one of their main goals is to build up a portfolio and pass it on to their children. So they kind of like groom them up to the point where they will be capable of taking on that, you know, um, that journey of having, you know, properties of their own. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's such a good, like, long-term strategy for everybody. That's definitely, like, what I hope to do. And, you know, you just kind of have to hope the kids kind of appreciate what it really is. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's they will because they'll see this whole, like, process that you've gone through to give it to them type of a thing. And, you know, if they don't want to be super hands-on, then they pay for a property manager and it still makes them money. I mean, there's, you know, there's... It, that's kind of the amazing thing about these investments is it really doesn't have to be a time consuming mm -hmm. part of your day. It can really just be that mailbox money that you don't worry about. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And uh, getting into one of the, the, the one of your specialties, I want to ask you about. And the first one I want to ask about is ten thirty one exchanges. So some people they might not heard of this or might not know what it is. So do you mind explaining what is a ten thirty one exchange? So this is something every investor needs to know about and will most likely use at some point. So the, you know, short version of what you're doing with the 1031 exchange is deferring capital gains tax. So capital gains tax is going to come about when you sell an asset. Usually we're talking about real estate. You can also get capital gains tax from selling stocks and other things, but that's different. So the 1031 um, can be used if you are willing to do a like-kind exchange with your real estate assets. But like-kind is a very generous term. It doesn't mean you have to sell like a two-bedroom house for a two-bedroom house. Basically, you can sell any type of real estate that you own for any other type of real estate there is. It can be residential for commercial, land, all of that stuff doesn't matter. So like like-kind, don't worry about that word much um it's very you know generous and uh basically you have to kind of initiate that process before you're actually under contract like you want to have this all like lined up when you plan on selling a property um and you'll want to like use a 1031 exchange like service basically 
and your title company is going to end up putting the you know the proceeds from your sale into your 1031 once that you know once that all closes and goes through and then there are very strict deadlines that you have to follow um to execute the exchange so basically like as soon as you close the 90 day clock starts ticking for you to identify properties so identify just means like showing the 1031 service what you think you might buy but it doesn't mean you're gonna buy it we all know you make tons of offers and they don't go through that's all good and fine but you have to identify start identifying some properties in that 90 days if you do not then it's over the exchange didn't go through you're gonna have to pay your capital gains taxes but that's the only penalty it's not like anything (laughs) devastating (laughs) happened but you're gonna have to pay your taxes um and but let's say you know you do identify your properties in 90 days you then will have 180 days to actually close on whatever property you're buying and you can exchange for multiple so you can sell one property and buy five more if you're in that type of a position um and so you know and the the word defer is kind of an important part so you're you know you don't have to pay those those taxes now but in theory you know eventually you're going to sell one of these assets and have to pay it like you know what i mean like so that they're just kind of giving you as much time as you want to take to pay these taxes, but that's something you should take huge advantage of. It's one of the many like real estate specific, like tax laws that every wealthy real estate investor uses, you know, Mm. I mean, it's like a major tool to have in your toolbox Um, and get creative with it. You know, I mean, if you can, find ways to do what I said of like, if you know, sell one and buy two or buy more than two, you know, that's really like going to be what can take you to the next level faster by, you know, having that money because you have, you're going to have the asset, you're going to have your initial investment in whatever that was plus the gains. So you can decide if you're going to reinvest that initial investment or not. That part is different. You know what I mean? But it, you know, theory, like you should if you can, and then plus the gains should give you enough mm. that you can buy quite a bit of like a better situation. Yeah. Mm. And um, if you go through this process the first time and you defer the tax, can you keep repeating this until you finally decide like, all right, I don't want to um, um, keep you know keep reinvesting the money. I'm just gonna go ahead and pay the tax. Like, can you? Is there a limit yeah. of how many times you can do that? Mm-mm. You just, as long as you just do the, the guidelines exactly how they want with the, you know, the dates and everything, you can just keep going forever. So there's definitely investors who just probably do it their whole entire life and never even pay cash taxes. out and then it's up to their heirs to, you know, pay those taxes or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, you can just keep going forever, which is like a major yeah. that real estate gives you that you can't do that with your stock capital gains. You can't do that with other stuff. Yeah, that's a ma- and that man, that's a, such a such a major major tool because, and that's why I always like to say that, uh, like the information is just as valuable as the money because if you have all the money, you have a lot of money, but if you don't have like little, like little pieces of information like this, which could make a huge difference. It's like right, you- like if you were to be unaware and paying your capital gains tax every time you sold a property, that's a huge hit. Huge that you're mm-hmm. huge. So yeah, yeah so very- that's. 
understand. That's some valuable information. And as far as yeah. uh, purchasing at auctions, so I know a lot of people know that, you know, you can find good good deals on auctions, but you also competing with a lot of people. So what do you think are the main keys to being successful with purchasing at auctions? Okay. I, for one, really love auctions, like probably more than most people. And, you know, a lot of that comes down to risk tolerance. And I probably have like a little bit of a higher risk tolerance than a lot of people do. So I understand if it's not for everyone, mm -hmm. but I highly recommend at least just starting to keep an eye on auctions when you can. So there's a huge variety of them. There's like big national ones that have, you know, selling stuff from everywhere. There's always also going to be like local ones in your, you know, specific city. Um, there's also in some areas, there's going to be ones that are done through the counties. There's going to be foreclosure auctions. I mean, there's, it's endless. So, you know, um, narrowing down on the ones that are going to get you, you know, the best deals is going to come down to what you're looking for but there are some amazing opportunities out there hmm. you have to be ready to buy things sight unseen most of the time um sometimes you'll get the lists far enough ahead that maybe you could go look at a property if it was important to you to go look at it but odds are you will not be able to get inside you'll just be looking at the outside um so i personally have kind of force myself to stick to a rule of like only even like considering stuff that does have like inside pictures because you're just it's just too much risk to buy the stuff where there's no inside pictures like you're just yeah so that's kind of a little fun but i would definitely just say like just don't even worry about the stuff where you can't see any inside pictures worry like you know you need the pictures um and then you know from there there's different things that you risk that you're taking in terms of, you know, you might be buying a property where the title has issues. Um, there could be liens on it. There can be bad taxes owed. All those type of nightmares is, you know, is a legitimate risk you are taking. Um, so obviously you want to weigh that. Um, but there are auctions that exist where there's going to be clean titles put out there. So, you know, you just have to do really good research and see what lines what you can you know with what you can take on um but w one thing i will mention is the competition at these auctions is probably not as crazy as you would expect like of course there's other people bidding but i mean i don't know there's like okay so the, the biggest biggest auction site is called like auction.com mm -hmm. honestly like i don't really mess with that one personally much because there probably is like too much competition mm -hmm. in terms of people bidding um but if you go down to like the lower level of like the counties and the city stuff um odds are you know if you look at an auction list there's going to be a couple, you know, standout properties that most people are going to be bidding on. And so if you're wanting one of those, yeah, it's probably going to get pretty competitive. You know, you probably are going to have to spend a little more than you really wanted to. So like you really got to crunch those numbers and know what your max is. And I always suggest like having a max bid mm. before an auction starts so you don't get emotional. Go, go crazy. <laughs> Right. Kind of like with trading stocks yeah. or other trading, you know, you need to have your entry, your exits all mm -hmm. like mapped out ahead so your emotions don't take over. Um, but if, you know, if you're not trying to get one of the like hottest properties on the list, I find 
that usually the competition is not that crazy. You might be bidding against a couple people. Um, and sometimes, you know, I like the only little like bubble I would usually give myself is like, let's say my max is going to be like 10 grand. Well, maybe make it like $10,100 because sometimes by going over just that 100 beats out the guy whose max was 10 grand even. Mm -hmm. So like maybe a little tiny bit of leeway like that is okay. Mm -hmm. But you know, you don't want to go like thousands over what you were planning. Um, And you know, you just have to be okay with things with losing things. Some things that, you know, the numbers are just not going to end up making sense. And there's always going to be another property. There's always going to be another option. You know, it's okay. Um, But you know, one of the things I like about auctions is you can usually find deals that are so incredibly good that it puts you in a position that you have a huge variety of exit strategies. Right. Um, you know, you just, cause you're just buying at such a low price point that, you know, if you wanted to just never even deal with it and just never even see it, all that stuff, you could just probably call up a local wholesaler who already has buyers in that area, send them your pictures and boom, they can just sell it. They can make their little fee and you just, you know, sat back and did nothing and can probably at least like double your money. if not more than that, you know, obviously depends on like what we're looking at here. But, um, you know, I'm talking about buying stuff very cheap, not the stuff that, I mean, cause there's options for stuff that's like over a hundred grand. That's not like right. what I'm meaning. Okay. Cheap stuff. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, and also another fun one can be land auctions, just like the vacant land. Cause obviously there's much less risk. You know, you don't have to worry about the structure in any way, shape or form. And sometimes you can find really good deals where you're buying land for a couple hundred bucks mm-hmm. for maybe, you know, whether it's either just like a residential lot or sometimes you can even find like some acreage and then, you know, there can be good opportunities to flip that maybe even through just like another auction or same thing, maybe a local wholesaler or whatever the case may be you know, where you can just kind of repost it for a couple grand more and you never had to really worry about right, any right. of it. Like lots of easy kind of virtual, um, you know, ways to flip stuff that way that I, I really like. Okay. And I, and you mentioned uh, Sight Unseen. So, and I want to ask you like, so I know a lot of people, they'll probably be like, man, I, I, they'll be too fearful of buying something that they right. didn't actually see in person. So, like, I was going to ask you, like, what gives you the confidence and to, to, to make those moves? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess part of it is, like I said, I, I feel like there's enough exit strategies on the table that, like, one one way or another I can get rid of this thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of feel like I'm usually, I mean, you know, of course, like, case-by-case basis. But generally speaking, I'm sort of not planning on keeping it and not really planning on even seeing it either. So it doesn't necessarily matter that much to me. Really what it kind of comes down to is like, do the pictures make enough sense that I could probably like resell this off of the pictures. And if it does, then like I'm ready to roll the dice. Um, But another thing that has worked out well for me in doing these things sight unseen is, um, kind of, I guess, reselling them or whatever the right term would be, but using a land contract, which is basically the same thing as, like, owner financing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I, for example, I bought a house, well, I bought more than one, but I'll talk about one specifically. Like, I bought a house in Michigan less than a 
year ago, but it was last summer. Um, and it was totally sight unseen. There were pictures. Um, basically, it was a, the house was in good shape, but it was still full of the previous owner's like stuff, so it was going to need like a major clean out. Um, and so I bought it for five grand. You know, part of you know part of why I'm willing to roll the dice is because it's like an amount of money that like if I really it's just nothing. had to lose it, right. Really, I can bounce back. Um, right. I'm not going to roll the, the dice if it's like 50 grand. Right. That's much for me. But five grand, you know, I, I don't want to lose five grand, but at the same time, like, it's kind of worth the risk because right. I can probably at least, you know, triple that or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, that's basically kind of how it ended up working out. I, I did end up going out there and seeing it because I had bought a few houses out there in the area and I decided it was worth it. But you could definitely do the same thing without ever having gone to see it. Um, but I basically then, well, it took me a little while to figure this out. I sort of sat on it for a little while, decided, to, well, I was like thinking about maybe I wanted to rent it out and maybe I wanted to like flip it. All of those strategies were just too much work. You know, I have little kids. I can't be going back and forth a lot. If you're the type who can go back and forth a lot, like those could have been great options. Um, but it just didn't work for my personal life. Um so then I kind of started learning about these land contracts, which are super common out in Michigan. They're not common everywhere, but they do exist. They can happen. You know, owner financing can happen anywhere. Um, Michigan, it just happens to be like something people are really like comfortable doing. Like they are just used to it. Um, and so I just advertised it that way. And it was very easy to find people interested even. And this was, you know, I hadn't cleaned it out. I hadn't done anything. It was just as is posted it with the pictures of it looking a mess um and you know basically you know you do a situation where you require like a five grand down payment to recoup the full investment and then you know like like for that one i had i did the purchase price like very affordable because it was like in pretty rough straight shape and all of that and so i had the total only being like 16 grand um but so i get you know my initial investment out as soon as that contract got signed, um, and then now I get it's only like two seventy five a month, but it's two seventy five a month for the next like five years, and that's just like pure profit. Mm -hmm. um, I hold the deed to the property through that whole time, and he or whoever you know the buyer has to cover all the maintenance, all the taxes, all the utilities, all the insurance, every single responsibility as if you know he was like owner and if any of that doesn't happen um michigan has a very friendly laws towards like the deed holder so that i can like repossess that property mm -hmm. more easily than like an eviction like very easily and you know in that case of course it would probably be a hassle for a month or two dealing with that but then i could just do another land contract and just do the whole thing all over again mm -hmm. um and not if he finishes the you know the contract then great and it's off my hands and i never really like did a thing so that's sort of my kind of per preferred and main strategy right now with with auctions um but i guess that kind of comboed with just buying stuff and then reselling it through other auctions right <laughs> uh, but where you can just flip them, you know, quick profit that way. Both both of those I really like. Mm, okay, wow, you 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 got you got a lot of uh, good good strategies that you like using. <laughs> yeah, I mean that one I really recommend people look into a bit more. Um, you know, you put you can put interest on it, but every every state has like 
just certain laws um, that you should just be aware of. So, you know, see if it can apply locally. But if it can't apply locally, I, it applies really well in Michigan. So you should definitely, you know, do your research out there and see if it could maybe, like, fit with your, you know, okay. strategy. And uh, another thing I wanted to touch on was tax liens. Now, tax liens is something that I pretty I, I really like talking about because I feel like it's a it's a thing where anybody like even if you don't if you feel like you don't have a lot of money, I feel like you can get involved in the real estate game if you go like if you try to get a tax lien property. And what, what what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. So that's actually sort of how I got into auctions, which is so weird. It like has nothing to do with each other. But yes, so basically, I really like tax liens as well. I definitely agree that if you're the type who doesn't have a lot to invest and definitely is not trying to be. Mm-hmm super hands-on with anything yet because you know you're probably working a full-time job elsewhere but yeah tax liens is a great way to go um you know the basically some states do them and some don't and so you know it takes some research obviously you want to probably start with your home state and see if it works for you or not um but if it doesn't then there's plenty of other states that do it and it's another you know it's it's really similar in terms of like, you really don't even care what the property looks like. You're, you're just worrying about like what the interest rate is. Um, because that's a guarantee right. you're going to need that interest rate. And that's, that's the amazing thing. It's like actually like government backed, like you're guaranteed mm-hmm. to get that interest rate. And some States are as high as I think like is 18% the highest. I could be wrong about that. It's at least like on the higher end. I know that's on the higher end. I don't, know, yeah. I don't know if it's the, the highest, but I know that's definitely on the high side. Yeah, there could be even better than that, to be honest. So, you know, just do your own research. But really um, easy to do. I mean, most of them are online. Maybe all of them are online at this point. Um, you know, one thing you have to think about, though. So if you're OK, so if you want to invest in tax liens just to, like, get that guaranteed interest, then boom, just do that. Don't worry about everything else. If you want to do it to get that interest and in hopes to maybe get a property out of it too, you have to make sure you keep paying that same lien every year. Because if you just do it one year and it's like a three-year situation, like three years is the most common. Sometimes it's five, but just look it up, you know. Um, But if you just do like one year and it's actually like a three-year thing, someone else is going to end up getting that property. You're not going to with it so make sure you really understand all of those details if that's your goal is to try to you know like actually get a property um and in that case you know it's kind of the same thing as if you had gotten one at auction now you have like all these different exit strategies you could just keep it as a rental you could just flip it you could sell it wholesale you could do a land contract you know just so many different amazing options because you just got something for probably like a couple grand mm. That's 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 so interesting and valuable. I feel like I, like I said before, like because a lot of people with real estate, a lot of new, people that want to get into it, they fear because they like they feel like they have to take on so much risk and they have mm-hmm. to have so much money. When the truth is, you are going to have to take on some risk, but a lot of times it doesn't have to be that big of a risk, really, and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that much money. If you strategizing, you know what I'm saying, you you finding out the right things, you can you can make a deal happen. With, with not that much money and with not that much risk, really, which is crazy. Exactly. And, yeah, I'd say tax liens is, you know, if you're really feeling cautious and hesitant, like, that's probably the safest and cheapest starting point that I know right. of. Um, and, you know, but but also just keep in mind that, like, the odds are 
probably you're probably not going to get a house out of it. Right. You, you know, you can, but mm. like probably not. probably not. Most people end up wanting to keep their house and paying their taxes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so, something else that I wanted to talk about was uh property management. I know it's something that you said you you I think you spoke on it a little earlier and I wanted to speak on it from the side of uh all, like the keys to finding a, a good property manager and also if you starting your own property management company, that's something that you want to do. Like, what are the keys on both sides of that, in your opinion? Yeah. Well, okay. So I will preface this by saying I do all my own management. Okay. I don't hire property managers at this phase in my career. I, I would foresee I will someday. Um, but right now, my rentals... So, and, okay. So I'm going to preface this with that... You know, every market is really different. Mm-hmm. Denver is the really hot market. The rental market is incredible. People take it very seriously. They know it's incredibly hard to find another place. They know that if they get an eviction, they will, like, never live in Denver again. So there's, like, you know, a certain reason why you want to, like, have rentals in markets like that. Because the tenants are going to be on their best behavior. And that's my situation and it's always been my situation. I've never like had bad tenants, but if you're in a random, you know, maybe like a more of a C class market, um, you might deal with quite a bit more tenant issues than being in like a hotter, you know, A or B class market. So that's, you know, a a major factor. I would definitely say, you know, if you're going to be buying a house in maybe like Cleveland, you know, Memphis, Baltimore, like those type of cities, like, just get a property manager. <laughs> I don't want those headaches. Um, right. But if it is something where you can do it yourself, I would really suggest trying it. Um, the work is during, it's finding a tenant. That's that's when you put in all of your work. And I personally really like picking my own tenants because I just really go off of like the vibe I get from people. I, you know, I, I personally have maybe a little bit of a different strategy than a lot of people would recommend in that. Um, I'm not super worried about if you have bad credit and I'm not super worried about if you have a background, like I will excuse those things if you are upfront and honest about it right away. And if you have, you know, good rental history and like a good income Mm -hmm. and like, give me all the indications that you're going to be a stable, good tenant. And that has never backfired. I've, you know, run into people with felonies, to be honest, and it's, it's really never been a problem. And honestly, you know, again, it comes back to Denver being the market that it is. Um, but I think they are almost even better tenants for me because they know, like, I'm really kind of doing them a big favor and that if they mess it up with me, they're going to have yeah. like the hardest time ever finding yeah. another place. So for me, that's been a really good strategy. Again, like different markets, I would maybe give different advice. Um, So in terms of, you know, if you are going to hire a property manager, you know, you want to really kind of talk to them about their processes, really feel like they're, that you're not just like a number in their system. Like you want them to care. I would go with more of a, you know, a smaller firm or even just like an individual person who does it versus like the huge companies that maybe are going to be like a little bit cheaper, but like, don't even know who you are type Mm -hmm. of the thing. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think there's like rental warehouse, renters warehouse. I can't remember. There's some of those like big companies starting to pop up that are cheap property management, but like, I can't even know. I would like never recommend that. Um, (laughs) 
And so, you know, your property manager is probably going to have you sign some type of a contract, you know, like a, maybe a year or mm-hmm. maybe even longer, though. I mean, I would be really, like, sure that there's a way out of that contract if you're not liking their performance. Because, you know, you don't want to just have to pay somebody and then you end up having to do all the work anyway because right. they're doing it. And I've definitely, like, seen that happen of, like, you know, people having their house sitting vacant for months and months and their manager is just doing nothing and they're just paying their manager month after month to do nothing. And, like, you know, you just really need to be, you know, reading your contracts. And, if you know, and if you don't like the contract, don't commit to it. Um because it's your money and you want to, you know, you really want to control it. So, you know, once you get a tenant in place, there's oftentimes very little work for the rest of the year. Of course, there's always going to be a random maintenance call here and there. But in my you know, experience, most of that stuff, I can kind of feel the call and then just outsource whatever the problem is. And I really don't need a right. manager in that, you know, so I've had, you know, I had a unit this within the last year that both the fridge died and the washer and dryer died, you know, like, of course, you know, everything. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it was like, I call the used appliance store that's right over there in the neighborhood. I tell them what I need. They, you know, deliver it. They haul away the old one and I give them my credit card and it's, you know, I have to take a hit that month, but like, as long as you're smart, you keep some reserves for all your properties. You know, you shouldn't, it shouldn't really be stressful or a big deal you know, you just have to handle it and keep it moving. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, do you really want to be paying someone a whole year mm-hmm. to do that? That's like the one thing they did the whole year. You know what right. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Try to do it yourself if you can. It's really very doable. But, but if, you know, like you mentioned, if you want to do like an actual property management company where you're providing that service for other owners, right. then just like forget everything I just said. <laughs> you definitely need a property manager. Tell them, you know, they it's so much work that they really need you, all of that. Um, but no, I think, you know, I think property management services are super profitable. Um, like I said, they can be pretty easy. A lot of, you'll, you'll go months and months with no work. no work. You know, you just have to, but you know, if you're going to do, if you are going to do that, you know, you need to staff it with people you can really rely on and really trust um because you're talking about them you know going into people's homes and having access to their like personal information and like you can't you can't just be reckless with that like that's serious stuff and it's your reputation and Mm -hmm. all of that um but i think you know if you do it do it well uh, you know establish like really specific like you know that you send a monthly report with like all the details of this like and you kind of have processes of like okay so if this happens like if it's the issue that's going to be like less than five hundred dollars like can i just handle it do you want to know about it like get all of those things like communication lines established and i bet it can you know just flow very easily of course there are always going to be tons of owners that do not want to manage or that are, you know, out of state, all of those things. Um, and there's, you know, definitely money to be made there for yeah, sure. Definitely. I, I agree with that. And some, uh, a conversation that I, I like having with uh, real estate investors is the conversation about exit strategies. Cause I'm always interested in hearing people's exit strategies. Cause so many people have different perspectives. They have different ways that they like to do it. So I want to ask you like, what are some of the exit strategies that you like? If you, uh, if you find with explaining. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I feel like 
for things like rental properties, the ones that I actually like hold in my portfolio, mm-hmm. I generally give myself a rule of thumb of like, I want to hold them until they've like doubled, you know, in appreciation. Mm-hmm. Um, because I always try to buy in markets in Denver. Um, that's you know, <laughs> really well. And, you know, so that's an important factor for me. And then I, you know, in my mind, I kind of say, okay, so if this, you know, once this doubles in appreciation, and of course, like during that time, I'm making, you know, good rental income as well. It's right. making me money at both both ways. Um, then, you know, let's look at selling, but it's not like a, we're for sure going to sell. It's like, let's reevaluate the market. Let's reevaluate my portfolio, my other incomes, all of those things and see if it makes sense to sell. Um, and to be honest, you know, most of the time so far, I have chosen not to because this market has just ended up being so yeah. strong for me and I can't afford it anymore. <laughs> so it's not like I could sell and then like 1031 into like another similar unit in right. Denver for like a better price. Like, no, that doesn't exist anymore. So at this point, I'm mainly like really just kind of long term holding these rentals that I have. With, of course, you know, hopes that someday maybe I'll be able to pick up another one Mm -hmm. here or there. Um, But, you know, if you're – I definitely think, you know, having an exit strategy when you start is important, like very important. Um, And a lot of people, I think, don't because they're just so, like, desperate to get in. Desperate to get in. It's like, whatever, you know. Um, But – I mean, and a lot of people say this in real estate, and I, I definitely believe it. Like, the money is made when you buy. Like, you have to buy at a good well. price. The value. Yep. It's really important. Mm-hmm. And everyone has, you know, different priorities. Some people's priorities more on the cash flow side than the appreciation side. And then, and that's fine. And I, I respect that. You know, I personally really would prefer to stay in both, you know, again, the cash flow and the appreciation mm-hmm. together. Um, and you usually have to pay a little bit more on those, but I, for me, it's worth it. And it gives you better tenants and just the whole experience Mm -hmm. is easier for me. Um, but the other exit strategies I really like are kind of the same ones I was mentioning before, just in terms of like wholesaling things, the land contracts. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, of course I love the concept of flipping. It hasn't been something that I've been able to incorporate yet mostly just because of like my kids being young and all of the other like stuff that comes with that Mm -hmm. um but i would hope that someday that's something i'll like do at least just to try it um i personally kind of do like to be hands-on with some projects i mean you know i'm not like building a house or anything but i find it kind of fun to really do like the nitty-gritty and like be in the you know the the trenches with it all um, <laughs> but i you know everyone should know flipping houses is nothing like what you see on tv it's the biggest nightmare you will ever go through <laughs> like if you try to do it with your spouse or someone else you love like be ready be to ready. have like the worst fights you've ever had you know yep. like really evaluate relationships before you take that on because it is brutal but the money is there you know yeah. you'll, you'll make good money so if you like, uh... If you yeah. don't mind me asking, how many rental properties do you current currently have? I don't have a huge portfolio, so right now I have seven uh, residential, and then I have a little bit of land uh, that's just sitting there that I'll probably try to sell fairly soon. I'm not that's not really like a long term hold. Um, so yeah, seven is really where I'm sitting right now, um, but I'm a little bit like cash heavy. Um, mm. 
because I am seeing a shift happening in the market, I'm starting to see, you know, outrageous deals all the time. And auctions is where you're going to start seeing those deals first. And that's one, one other reason why I really like watching the auctions is because, you know, the, the, the retail market is going to react delayed, you know, yeah. they have to, it has to like kind of get there. Right. And, as investors, we need to be anticipating it. And mm-hmm. I'm seeing the, the shifts happening. I'm seeing, you know, the market is going to, to take a dip. And obviously, I can't tell you when, but right. I can tell you I'm starting to see it. Yeah. So I am sitting in, you know, not like anything crazy, but I'm sitting in some cash right now, hoping to be able to pick up, you know, some stuff. Probably, you know, starting the end of this year, but really anytime, you know, I always say like, if, you know, if a great deal is there, just take it. Don't worry about what you think the market's going to do or what you think might happen in a month. Like, if it's a great deal, then it's a great deal. You should take it. But, you know, overall, I'm sort of, you know, I look at the spring and summer, which is, you know, we're in it um, as, like, the hottest time. I think the, the market will stay propped up pretty well through, through this summer. I don't see why it wouldn't. Um, but I think it's very possible to buy, you know, towards like getting to winter, we'll start seeing things like really dropping really off. Dropping off. So I want to be ready to yeah. move fast when, you know, when those opportunities are there. And that's, and that's interesting that you say that. Cause this is another conversation that I love having with people like in business, uh, investors, whatever. I love having a conversation of like, okay, are you, are you liquid? Are you liquid right now? Or are you still buying? And when you saying that, that's very, that's, that's very interesting. Cause I like, I even often tell people, I'm like, yo, stack up y'all money now because I'm telling you, like, the market going, it's going, it's going to have a dip, and that's the that's where the opportunity is. You could buy so much things, everything will pretty much be on discount. But if you don't have that money, you can't play offense. So I love telling people to save up, so you save up now, so you can play play offense later. So that's interesting. That you yeah, can, <laughs> I would totally agree with that. If people can, you know, stack for the next six months, mm-hmm. you know, will be well rewarded for that discipline you know mm-hmm. like yeah. really try to try to force yourself and you know basically if there are deals that you could turn quickly you know maybe within right. that six months get a little pop fine of course do right. that you know but make sure it's something you're gonna be able to get out of and mm-hmm. you know have that liquidity yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and i'll tell people that that's another thing i tell people i'm like i don't know I don't know if right now is a good time to go in a, in a deal that's very, very high risk or very expensive because, yeah. you know what I mean? Because it's a year from now, six months from now, if, if it has a dip, you could have got it for way cheaper. But you bought mm-hmm. it early and now, you know what I mean? You're paying the price. Like you said, you make money on the buy. So you want to make sure you're buying at the right time, which is yeah. probably the most important exactly. part. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And, uh, oh, yeah, The only thing I would just tell people, though, is if there's any people out there who are maybe thinking about their getting a, they're very with like a pretty conventional loan or like an FHA loan or, you know, those things where it's a property that you want to live in um, at least for a year, this could actually be a great time for that because they are giving out loans like super easy right now. Obviously, you want to make sure you understand your loan, mm-hmm. understand what you're doing. It's not, I'm not saying be reckless with it, but if you are already sort of in that research process and thinking that this could be a good time for you, that's one thing I would agree. Because right now, the money is flowing still. Right. And at some point, when the market does tank, all of a sudden, loans are going to be very hard to get. 
Mm. And they're going to go back to only lending to the people with like extremely good credit. So if you, you know, are at a point where you could qualify for something right now and it sort of makes sense, that's the only person I would definitely say this could be the right time. Other traditional investors, if you're a little more of an experienced investor, you would probably already be agreeing with me that like, this is not really the time unless it's like something just amazing. You can't miss out on it, right? Mm-hmm. And another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Silver Springs. So do you mind, for the people who, who who are not aware of what it is, do you mind explaining what it is and, like, the services you, provi- you provide? Yeah, of course. So basically uh, just pretty broad real estate consulting. Um, it's just me at this point. Um, but I, you know, I'm able to consult on all the different things we've been talking about today, plus a lot more. Um, you know, if you're getting into wholesaling, that's something mm. I can also help with. We haven't talked about too yeah. much. Um, I'm not a super active wholesaler, but I can still, you know, help you kind of get the ball rolling. Um, but I, you know, one thing that I really enjoy doing is working with people who are wanting to buy and maybe need help finding good deals. Mm. That's, sort of what I would say is my like absolute specialty is I can always find you like the best deal. Um, so, you know, that is always, a, you know, something I can do. And then I have some other like resources available, things like vacant house lists, absentee owner lists, um, just some other kind of like commonly used forms and contracts, like um, just like a JV contract, an assignment contract, um, things like that. So, you know, just kind of basic resources I do have there on my site. Um, But yeah, I basically am, you know, available. uh, You can book calls with me. And right now I do have 30 minute calls available for 40 bucks. Um, We can go over a ton of content in 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, I would imagine most people can probably spare 40 bucks at some point in the next, you know, month. Um, And, you know, it can really kind of help you get focused, get, you know, some information you need. I always provide like tons of resources with my consultations. Um, And yeah, I just really like connecting with investors at which at any level, brand new or, you know, experienced. And I, you know, I can do lots of different things to help. Mm. that's really dope i was looking at your website um this morning and i was telling him i'm like i gotta get so much stuff like i was like yeah she was like she was like she was like yeah we uh we getting some of her services i'm like are you asking me or telling me she's like i'm (laughs) telling you i'm like oh i'm like all right (laughs) (laughs) i'm super excited to link with people um and yeah i mean there's it's really endless like it's the kind of thing where i don't like to be super broad because you know that just gets overwhelming but I, there's really like I, I've been in this for a while I've seen a lot of stuff and I, I'm the type you know I'm definitely the work harder or sorry work smarter not harder right. type I'm uh, you know it, it's like I, I'm a little bit on the lazy side I'll honestly like admit it it's not the best personality trait but it puts me in this mode where I get the work done with the least amount of work (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I'm good at teaching other people to do that too. Like do not, you know, you just got to get it. You you know, you gotta, you just gotta like simplify things and and, and get focused and not get overwhelmed because real estate is overwhelming. There's so many different things and it's just, it's expansive. There's a lot to it. Like you said, it's a lot yeah. too. But and like what you what you were just saying, that's self awareness, which is a very like I love talking about. Like I love talking about like this self awareness because I feel like mm-hmm. that's the 
Like that's the most like even though we we all in business or whatever, the most important thing to me is if you're not self aware, it's really like only so far you can go. You know what I mean? So if you knowing like your weaknesses and your strengths, I mean you could you could do everything now because you know what you're good at, you know what you're not good at. <laughs> so exactly, yeah. exactly. And I'm a very like upfront person like that. I don't want like if there if there's a situation where it's like honestly you know everything you need to know. There's nothing I can teach you here. Like I will absolutely right. say that. Or if I feel like you can teach me, I will absolutely like ask you to teach me. I mean, I I definitely am you know a forever student and love to just you know be blunt about it. There's no mm. you know there's no reason to beat Turn, around the bush. Around the bush. Like well, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, and like let's figure out how we can make them work together yeah. okay. and you uh something you mentioned you mentioned wholesaling i know we didn't really dig deep into it but uh so i want to ask even though you already you said you're not you're not really doing it going hard in it right now but what are some of the if you don't mind like what are some of the like tips that you would suggest to people that are starting doing wholesaling right now yeah so i mean one strategy that i really like is to Focus a little bit more on finding a buyer or a couple buyers and then finding houses that meet their criteria, which some people, I don't know, there's a term called like reverse wholesaling. That's not my term, but I think that's what that's called. Um, Whatever, you know. Um, So me personally, that's more, it's just more kind of like time efficient because you know how wholesaling can be. It can be an extensive amount of time spent marketing by mm. either like sending out mailers, doing cold calling, driving for dollars, yep. all of that stuff, which is great because you can do it, but it can take a lot of time. Lot of time yeah. And I'm personally, like I said, I don't like to put in more time than I have to. <laughs> and so if you can, you know, create relationships, even with just one buyer to get started and you know what they want, it can be way quicker to then find them what they want and i am a big fan of especially if you're getting started like do not be scared of jving if you have a buyer and they want a duplex and that wholesaler has a duplex like do that jv and get Mm. it done and you will have some money and you will have way more confidence Mm. to then like keep going so you know a lot of people seem a little like hesitant about the jving like I'm, I love JVing. I would say at this point in my like career, I only JV pretty much because it's much less work on your end. So, you know, if you can just crank the deals out faster that way, there's no reason to be hesitant about it. And then as you, every, you know, every wholesaler will tell you the first deal is the hardest. Right. And so that I try to say like, you know, don't, let it be that hard. Try to find ways that it can work for you. And, you know, really using social media to mm. find buyers, but also sellers, but to mainly to find buyers is super important. Um, you know, there's a really great network on Twitter, which I know you guys are a part of, I'm a part of, mm. but maybe some listeners aren't. You should definitely like find us, join mm. us. There's a really solid network, but there's also great networks on Facebook, great networks of people you can meet on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I really, I, I've heard of people having good success on Instagram. I wouldn't, yeah. you know, I wouldn't discount any platform. Um, and you kind of, you know, you kind of just have to put yourself out there and let people know what you're doing or what you want to be doing. But I would always like phrase it from a point of like, you're doing it. Like you're not trying to wholesale, you're wholesaling. You're right. And you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And just and present yourself very professionally in those 
situations, you know, if you can give your, you know, put the time into maybe getting like a headshot and like a website, things like that can really make you look (laughs) a lot more professional than maybe you are. And it goes a long way in just people giving you that chance. And all you need is just that one person to give you that one chance and the ball gets rolling and it gets so much easier. You know, word of mouth is a very powerful thing in real estate. Um, You know, once you sell somebody's house and they have a great experience, they're going to tell everybody. And once you get a buyer, you know, a bunch of great units and they're making great money, they're going to tell everybody. Everybody. You know what I mean? So like having, giving your clients a good experience is all it takes to build your network to a point where the work just sort of like comes to you. Like this person, this is our own, this is our first time meeting and having this conversation. I can really tell that you understand that concept. Not only you understand it, but you actually apply it to your life. Exactly, exactly. And I would say everything we've talked about, you know, is is examples of ways that I've figured it out to do it that way. You know, through trial and error. Of like I thought a different way was going to work, and it did not. And this mm-hmm. is what did work. So you know, learn from my mistakes. You know, I. I'm happy to tell you about lots more of them if you want to talk to me more. Uh, But that's, you know, and, and, and always don't underestimate your own thinking with stuff. Like really always try to find ways to simplify things because there's always ways. Mm -hmm. Always. man. And I got, I think I got like one more question for (laughs) y'all. I had a lot of, I wanted to talk about, uh, I know that's another, like one of your specialties is opportunity zone funds. So do you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. This is definitely like kind of my favorite topic right now. So there's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very broad topic. Um, but opportunity zones have been drawn in every County in Mm -hmm. every part of this country. They were all, all the zones. So there's kind of two different sides to it. There's zones and there's funds. All the zones were drawn locally and you can look them up and see where they are in your community. And then, what the funds are is a way for people to take, you know, back to our favorite topic of capital gains. Mm. It's a way for them to take their capital gains um, and invest them with either a tax benefit or possibly no taxes at all. So that's obviously major. And so this is actually different than just the 1031 where it's a deferral. Like this is actually like you're not going to have to pay this amount of tax so there's like three levels to it um and i get these percentages wrong i think it's like if you can if you leave it in for five years you defer like three percent and then if you leave it in for seven years you defer like five percent but i could be wrong on those percentages but you defer a decent amount um of you know tax on your capital gains so this is you know this is definitely for more experienced investors this is definitely not for brand new investors you have to have capital gains to even hear about this so Mm -hmm. um you know but there's but there's other ways that you could find ways to make this work for you so you know, that's who's going to invest in the funds is people with capital gains. But they're what they're wanting people to do is to take their money out of stocks and other things like that, that there's usually no real incentive to take those capital gains. This is sort of trying to give people that incentive because they whatever. That's what the government wants. Mm. Um, but an important factor to understand with the funds is we are at that seven year mark this year in 2019 
Um, and so we have already missed the 10 year opportunity of which, so if you leave it in for 10, if you were to put your capital gains in a fund and leave it for 10 years, you would defer all taxes, like hundred percent of your taxes. But that is like too late, unfortunately. Um, but so at this point, like the best case scenario was seven years, which is still decent. Um, and, but you would need to be getting your fund created this year. Like that's serious. Um, and I'm not going to go into the steps of how to create a fund because honestly, like this is tax law. You should have a CPA lawyer, all those important people really talk to you about it if it's something you want to go into. But I'll just say that like creating a fund is not super hard. It can be done. It can even be done if it's just you who's going to invest in it. You don't necessarily need other investors, but obviously it depends on how much gains you're going to have. Um, if it makes sense to do it for just you. Mm-hmm. But but the cool thing is, is the fund can then invest in anything in that opportunity zone. So yes, it can buy real estate, but it can also invest in businesses. So if you're the type who maybe likes to have a side business or is it maybe doing a startup business or even something bigger than all of those things, but any type of business you could use, you could, you know, take your capital gains, put it into a fund, use that fund to fund your business, which is probably, you are probably going to fund your business anyway, anyway but this right. way you can, like, do this whole loop to avoid all your taxes. And then any, however much that business grows and profits in that time span, you defer the, the, the taxes on all the appreciation as well. So that. You know, the real estate aspect of it is super important, but the business aspect is something that a lot of people should make sure they understand because let's just say, you know, you don't have any funds to invest in an opportunity zone. And this is something you think is interesting, but you don't have any capital gains. So there's not not a lot you can do about it. Well, maybe you can create a situation where you can help startup businesses get a headquarters in an opportunity zone and get funded by a fund in that zone. Mm-hmm. And you can like facilitate that and teach them how to do this. And you know what I mean? Like there's other ways that you could still learn this and understand it really well and profit off of it by helping other people execute it who don't have time, you know, to learn it and do it All themselves. Right. But like basically for startup businesses that need funding, this is, huge like life-changing opportunity um but in terms of more of like the real estate side of it people need to understand a lot of people are talking about just like buying opportunity zones like you're going to make money you know the property values are going to go way up in these opportunity zones so like it's a sure thing and you know there's some truth to that but if you don't have a fund i would not have any expectation of this doing you any good maybe like there's going to be fluke situations where you will, but if you don't have a fund and you're just buying an opportunity zones, you're really rolling the dice because yes, there could end up being a situation where you buy something like a distressed house or whatever in an opportunity zone. And maybe a local fund will approach you and want to buy it and you can sell it for a premium and then boom, you did just profit off of it. That's of course like great. But The way things are shaping up right now, if you think about it, like the biggest funds that are going to exist already exist because they wanted to make sure they got that 10 year deferral. 
So the big ones are already out there and you should be able to look them up in your local area and find them. They're not a secret. Um, and if you, you know, once you figure out who they are, you can probably figure out what they're doing or what they're talking about doing, blah, blah, blah. Um, but basically what I'm getting at is these big funds are probably focused on like one really specific big project in an opportunity zone. Like they probably have like one main focus or maybe they have like two or three, but whatever. They probably have like a limited number of focuses because their fund can only like do so much and they're going to do these, these specific things. So in at times that might be significant enough to raise property value all over the zone. But most of the time it's probably not going to make a huge impact like that. Maybe a, a little impact, like it's going to just make kind of a marginal impact. And a lot of the zones are probably going to be completely untouched. Mm. And that's one thing I think people are not really realizing here. I think they're thinking that every opportunity zone from corner to corner is going to be like this totally renovated, brand new part of town. And I really disagree with that thinking. I can pretty much guarantee you that huge chunks of these zones will see nothing. And why is that? Because they're the fun. There's not that like the funds are already there and they already have their projects that they're already working on. And they're maybe some of them will start to expand further out, but like, there's just not going to be that many more funds Mm. that come up. And I mean, like, I would hope that some people will take it on on like a smaller scale just to fund their own businesses and their own like smaller projects, like just individual people, because it's a huge opportunity if you do it. But there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through. You know, setting up a fund is not just like a quick little form online. Like you have to follow federal tax laws. And, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty serious thing. So I think ultimately, like, we're not going to see a lot more funds created. And the ones, I think the funds are fairly corrupt. Mm. I think the funds paid the cities to draw the boundaries where they wanted them to in every city is different, but I think this does apply to a lot of them. So I think, you know, the funds kind of like, you know, made sure the boundaries were where they wanted them to be so that they could work on their projects. And that, that kind of comes back to on Twitter. I always call these opportunity zones, uh, Kushner zones yeah. because Jared Kushner is sort of who I think is the, you know, the real reason behind these, you know, they the make culprit. it sound like it's a nice, nice thing to improve the community right, and all right. stuff, but ultimately, he needed a bailout. Um, he is a terrible developer, ter- terrible investor, and was really in a bad situation. So they created this whole thing that now we can all benefit from and we should. Um, but basically, the way it's shaping up is it's only kind of like Kushner type people in each city that got their fun done in time. And are, are benefiting from it and they're just going to make sure they, you know, focus on either, you know, I would imagine a lot of them are commercial projects, some residential, but probably not, you know, huge amounts of residential. Um, because part of it is if you're like, like, let's say you want to create a fund and you want to like flip houses and opportunities. Zones. Like that's kind of a lot of, you know, a common thing people are talking about doing. You can defer some of the capital gains on that, but you're still going to have to be paying a pretty big chunk in taxes on each one of those flips 
And so a lot of people, that's not super tempting. Like, Mm. I mean, it it can be. I'm not saying it shouldn't be tempting for you, but for a lot of these investors, that's not really what they're trying to do here, having to pay all those extra taxes. Like, they're wanting to basically, like, develop their commercial stuff and they were going to, you know, they were going to concentrate on that one little, like, commercial block anyway. And now that's what they're going to be able to do with no taxes and the rest is just going to just sit there. Nothing's going to happen to it. Wow, that's, that's crazy. I never, I never, because uh, I, I, I didn't talk about uh, opportunity zones a, a decent amount, and I never heard this like perspective this perspective on it. on it. So that's a very that's this is a very yeah. interesting and informal perspective. And it could change. I mean, one big factor is like they. So the original language was pretty limited, and there were a lot of like unknowns based off of the original language. I'm sure you know everyone is kind of trying to understand the new language they just released which was maybe i don't know two weeks ago three weeks ago something in that ballpark um trying to actually read it like the laws um are is really hard because the second language is constantly referring back to the first language and so you're constantly having to like switch back and forth i you know of course read it if you can handle it but um i'm a big fan of just going to different you know articles and different podcasts where people who are experts, experts really that. break it down um because it's really overwhelming and reading tax law is really hard yeah. to get anything yeah. out of it um so yeah i mean don't don't feel like you have to you know understand that <laughs> language <laughs> you know defer to lots of different experts listen to lots of different experts to to help form your opinion you know wow well, man, you, 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 you dropped, you dropped a whole, a whole lot of information, like a lot, a lot, like a, a lot, like I, I hope, <laughs> I know the list when is when I, when I release this episode, I know the list is going to feel the exact same way. You dropped a lot of stuff. And like, she's like, uh, she said, we we definitely going to reach out to you offline. Cause we want to talk to you a little bit more, but, but, uh, but before we wrapped up, I wanted you to, uh, let the people know, like. Where can they find you? Where can they get inform- more information? Where can they, if they want to get a cons- consultation? <laughs> Your where, website and where, all that. Website and all that. Where, where can they find you? Okay, yeah, great. So, yeah, everyone can come find me at silverspringsconsulting.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and another good place would be Twitter. Uh, my handle is just silver, like the color, invests. So, silver invests at Twitter. Um and yeah, I'm super active on there. I love to connect with everybody. You know, if you ever want to, you know, new people want to just like introduce themselves in my DMs, I'm always like happy to just find out mm-hmm. what market you're in, what you're trying to do. And if I, you know, if I know other people I can connect you with, I will always do that. Um, and yeah, I would love to get to, you know, consult with anyone else who wants to kind of dive deeper into some of these topics we went over today um, or, you know, any other questions that maybe we didn't get into enough. Mm, definitely, and I would advise everybody, everybody that's listening to this episode that has a Twitter account to definitely follow her mm-hmm. because she's always giving our game, giving our information that's definitely valuable and that you really, you really don't have to do. You doing this because this is something that you could tell that's something that you're very like interested in and passionate about. So I definitely commend you on that for helping because I'm pretty sure you have so many people that you probably even unaware that you ha- that you helped, but you had. But mm-hmm. so I definitely salute you. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I want to pay it forward to everyone. You know, I'm, I'm, I enjoy it. And so I love connecting with other people who do too, you know? Yep. yep. And so with that being said, we definitely appreciate, appreciate you taking you out so the time. Much. We appreciate, we appreciate this lot. And I'm looking forward to connecting with you at the, uh, the, the meetup as mm-hmm. well. 
Yes, Detroit. Yeah. We will yeah. see you guys soon. Yeah, All right. Well, thank All you guys right. so much. Thank, thank you. you. Talk to, talk Have to you a soon. Good day. Yeah. All right. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye. All right. Well, guys, that was another episode of the Marionette Mindsets podcast with Amy Silverman, a.k.a. the real estate investor matchmaker. She dropped a lot of valuable game and gems in that episode. And uh, for, for, for you for you who don't know, for you guys who don't know, I'm not even talking right no more. But, uh, <laughs> for all who don't know, you guys can follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Xavier C. Miller, Snapchat Xavier Miller 312. Uh, what else we got? Facebook, Xavier Miller. Feel free to hit me up, message me whenever on all those platforms. I, I'm, I'm always responding to people, even if I might respond a little late. Sometimes I respond a little late, but <laughs> best believe I'm going to respond to you eventually. And uh, Deanna, she's going to give you her information as well. And same thing for me. You can find me on Twitter at Deanna S. Kent, Instagram at Deanna Kent, Facebook at Deanna Kent. And you can subscribe to our Millionaire Mindsets text subscription by texting at M Mindsets to 81010. Again, that is at M Mindsets to 81010. And you can start receiving our Millionaire Mindsets text messages. And that is it, guys. Appreciate y'all for tuning in another episode. We definitely appreciate that. We see you guys next episode. Peace. On the way to the big check. You ain't know I'm up next till I'm on the way. You ain't take risks cause you too afraid. I'ma just eat till I'm overweight. On the way. A whole lot of shit on the way. On the way.